Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Hello. Thank you again for joining me. Welcome. Uh, today, of course, is uh, today is of course the sixteenth day of um, well, not the sixteenth day, but uh, excuse me for a minute. It's like seems like uh, Hello and welcome and thank you for joining me. Uh, excuse me for a minute. Um, I seem to have a little technical difficulty here and uh, we just want to ensure that um, we're on the, the right uh frame of mind here, so I'm just going to uh, quickly check and hopefully uh, make sure that um, we are <clears throat> recording um, because I would hate to be thinking that we're not um, doing any recording, but it seems evident that we are, so we're good. Uh, sorry for the inconvenience of the time at the moment. But um, sometimes you have to uh, check things out, you know, if you. Okay, so uh, we're back in sync again. And I just want to thank you once again for for joining me. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this day. I thank you, dear Lord, for all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. And Lord, I just ask that you just bless this word, bless this reading, and touch those that you will have hear the words. And for those that hear the words and do not know you, may they come to know you. In your Son, Jesus' name, I do pray. Amen. Okay, so today is, uh, of course, as I said, September the 7th. 2016. It's a warm day here in western Kentucky. Summer is still here until the 22nd of this month, so I guess we need to enjoy because pretty soon the north wind shall blow. My blood of the covenant, the hour of confrontation draws near. At the heart of it all today, as Jesus nears the time of arrest and crucifixion, he and his disciples celebrate the Passover in a meal known as the Last Supper, at which time he prophesies his betrayal by Judas and his abandonment of the others. But he also speaks of his sacrificial death being mankind's means for forgiveness. 
our memory verse, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that's Matthew 26, chapter, verse 28. Jesus and his twelve disciples have come to Jerusalem for the great Jewish festival of the Passover, ordinary, or a happy time for devout Jews. Yet even before entering the city, Jesus prophesied he would meet his death there. In the previous chapters, we looked at the mounting opposition from the Jewish leaders. Opposition, that is, laminated in the first passage below. The focus of today's chapter is Jesus' awareness of the treachery and disloyalty of his own disciples, and by contrast, an act of an inspiring sweetness and generosity on the part of an unnamed woman. But at the center of this chapter is the Last Supper, and some of the most meaningful words Jesus ever uttered. The key term for today is covenant. Jesus at the Last Supper spoke of his self-sacrifices being the beginning of a new covenant, a binding agreement between man and God. Unlike the covenant of the Old Testament based on keeping the law of Moses, the New Testament, the New Covenant would be the covenant prophesied by Jeremiah, written on the heart. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gather her chicks under the wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. And that's Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 and 38. Judging from the passage, Jesus must have made several visits to Jerusalem, not just the one when he was crucified, something that has been made clear in John's Gospel, which shows him coming to the city more than once. Of course, no matter where he was, he would have felt affection for the city of God's temple, the holy city. Should be glad to welcome him to receive the messenger of God. But in so, it never will be. If the city was holy, it was because God's house was there, not because the priest and the other authorities were holy themselves. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' lament follows his denunciation of those who age after age persecuted God's messengers. Here we sense not so much divine anger as wounded love. The God, whom Jesus called Father, is not the distant, uninvolved, unmentioned God of the philosophers, but a God rich with feelings. We have the power to hurt, anger, and grieve God. God wants us to love him in return. But you were not willing. There is no occasion God is not the cruel judge, but the reluctant judge. He offered love, but it was rejected. And rejecting his messengers is rejecting him. The image of a mother hen gathering her brood under her wings is a touching one one that would have struck a chord with Jesus' original hearers, who lived closer to the land than we do. Anyone who has spent time around a farm knows 
how extremely protective a hen with chicks can be. But the chicks, unlike human beings, are wise enough to stick close to their mother, not reject her love and protection. This is one of the many cases in the Bible where human stubbornness is concentrated with birds and beasts' willingness to submit to a, a loving authority. Luke's Gospel places the lament in a different context. It follows the episode of the Pharisees warning Jesus that Herod wished to kill him, with Jesus replying that no prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Luke has previously mentioned that people from Jerusalem had already come out to hear Jesus, so Jesus had already crossed paths with Jerusalem's children, its spiritual leaders, who proved to be very unspiritual. Look, your house is left to you desolate. The house they may refer to is the temple, or to the city, or to the whole nation. Jesus has pronounced judgment on the city and then the cleansing of the temple on the temple and its priest. Shortly the city and priest will pronounce judgment on him. She has done a beautiful thing. While he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the Leaper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have always with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And that's Mark chapter 14, verse 3 and 9. In an earlier chapter, we looked at the story of a sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet as he reclined at dinner in the house of a Pharisee. The episode found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36-50 is obviously similar to the story in Mark 14 and Matthew 26. And all three bear some resemblance to the story of the anointing of Mary of Bethany found in John 12. Despite the similarities in the four accounts, the difference between Luke 7 and Mark 14 make it probable that there were definitely two different anointings, despite the similarities. Here the focus is not the woman's past, but her generosity and how the people present reacted to it, and also for what it symbolized for Jesus in the days ahead. Um, here's a did you, you know. Simon was probably a, commonest, a common Jewish uh, man's name in the time of Jesus. Two of Jewish disciples were named Simon, 
And there are many other Simons and Gospels and Acts. Mark calls the host Simon the leper, the leaper. He could have not have been given a dinner if he was afflicted with leprosy. Leapers were outcasts, living outside the town, so he had obviously been cured of, perhaps by Jesus. If that was the case, he was repaying Jesus with hospitality, evidence that in those tense days before the crucifixion, Jesus did not lack for friends and admirers. Here in Bethany, just a short distance from Jerusalem, Jesus had people who loved him. The flask the unnamed woman brought with her in an alabaster, a bottle, but not always made of alabaster. The word used for the sustenance is muron, M-U-R-O-N, literally mirth, but it could refer to any perfume. Often the flotillism used by most Jewish women of that day, it was believed that alabaster containers preserved the contents without changing them. Here the system is called nard, which was not only highly fragrant, but also delightfully red in color and rose-red color. Kings and priests were anointed by anointing was also done sometimes to any honored guest at a banquet. It was common for such a guest to be sprinkled with a few drops of perfume, but the woman uses the entire container. A burial custom of that time was that when a dead body had been washed and then anointed an entire flask or jar, a perfume was broken and then laid in the tomb. Did woman know, as Jesus did, the danger that was looming? that the preemptive anointing would be the only anointing his body would receive, since he would be crucified and buried hurriedly. Whether the woman knew this or not, she was one of the few among Jesus' admirers who showed him such kindness in his last days. Yet her spontaneous extravagance, rooted in generosity and love, appears to be a waste to some of those present. This is bittersweet moment, with Jesus fully aware of soon facing humiliation and death, mingled with the gratitude for this nameless woman's gesture of love and devotion. Add to this the fact that immediately after Jesus' words of condemnation, we read of Judas going to the priest to betray the Master. Mark usually identifies the critics of Jesus scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, but here he only refers to some of those present, telling us there were not outsiders, but friends and followers of Jesus. Whoever they are, the woman's act makes them indignant, so that they rebuke her harshly. The Greek words here mean that they showed loudly and with gestures that they disapproved of her. Remember that in ancient Palestine, the people did not keep their feelings to themselves. So what Jesus heard was not fruit of whispering, but rather open criticism. How wasteful was she? 
the monetary amount named is 300 denera. And at that time, a denera was the usual day's wage for farm labor. So the translation is reasonably correct in saying a year's wages, assuming that farmers would have a few days off. But to Jesus, it's not waste. It's a beautiful thing. The word used here is kalos, K-A-L-O-S, which we looked at earlier when Jesus told his disciples to do kalos deeds so the world would see them and glorify God. Love has to be at times extravagant, not always calculating. At times, real love must seem reckless, impulsive. The critics are more calculating. The money could have been given to the poor. True, but Jesus tells the critics that the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. The poor you will always have with you has been sadly used to justify neglect of the poor. To visit a historic city and to see a magnificent cathedral rising up majestically is a pleasant sensation. But seeing at street level homeless beggars hanging about jars the sensibilities. Isn't it wrong for a religion to spend huge amounts of stone and stained glass to keep its ministers well-dressed and comfortable while it shows no compassion for the poor who are right outside the walls. The words, the poor you will always have with you, should not listen our desire to help the poor, but the words are a reminder that at times a gesture of loving extravagance is appropriate. And not to be overlooked in this story is the fact that the woman's critics were not so much concerned for the poor as they were for their own self-image. They saw themselves as the compassionate ones while they saw the woman as wasteful and foolish. They did not understand that she was showing love and admiration for someone she admired and respected, that Jesus then and there deserved her attention. While opportunities to aid the poor would always be available, in silencing the woman's critics, Jesus shows that he understood righteousness quite well, understood the type of person who would pat himself on the back for expressing concern about the poor. Verse 9 is literally, what she has done will be told as her memorial. Many churches have taken Jesus' words literally and illustrated the event in painting and stained glass windows along with the words of this verse, number 8, usually from the King James Version. She hath done what she could. Often a stained glass window of this type is dedicated as a memorial to some devout woman or her family and friends. Jesus alone is aware that the anointing with the expensive perfume intended as a gesture of love and admiration is in fact the prelude to his hasty burial after dying as a criminal. It is the loving anointing 
that would seem appropriate for a good and honorable man. Had he died under normal circumstances in this situation, there is no waste. The people fussing about the cost of the ointment are showing not so much concern for the poor as contempt for Jesus himself. Note, note that the anointing is placed between the priests plotting to kill Jesus and Judas going to the priest and agreeing to betray Jesus. The contrast between the woman's loving act and the treachery of Jesus' own disciple and the wickedness of the Jews' chief religious authorities could not be more striking. World to that man. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were all sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he'd never been born. And Judas, who would betray him, said, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. And that's Matthew chapter 26, verse 20 through 25. Here we take a close look at one of the great events of the Bible, the Last Supper. It is also one of the most visualized, for it has fascinated countless artists over the centuries who were intrigued by the conflicting emotions and motivations present among Jesus and his twelve disciples. To appreciate the drama, we need to remember that Jesus and the twelve had come to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the great festivals of the Jewish religion, the Passover, the annual remembrance of that long ago God had delivered the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. It was a festival of divine liberation, and also a festival of brotherhood. For in theory, every Jew, regardless of his social status, was equal to others. Every Jewish man, woman, and child, part of a great spiritual family. God's chosen people, Israel. Petty squabbles were expected to be put aside at this time, for the focus was on God and his love and care. And in spite of that fact that devout Jews tried to be present in Jerusalem for the feast, Passover was not centered in the temple and its priests, but in homes. It was a family holiday, with the sacrifice, the lamb, eaten by the family around a table. In Jesus' case, this was not his biological family, but his spiritual brother's. But one of those had already taken payment to betray him. The Passover meal would have been eaten at sunset. According to the custom meal, had to include at least ten people at the table, but not more than twenty, for each person had to receive a portion of the Passover lamb. Jesus specified that he wanted this particular room for just him and his disciples. Jerusalem being festival times was in theory an open house 
with residents opening their homes to more strangers, so long as they were fellow Jews. But it's likely that the man in whose house they had supper was no stranger, but a disciple, or at least an admirer, given the fact that Peter and John made their request for the Master. Luke chapter 22, verse 713. The owner, in fact, gave the group the upper chamber. The upper chamber was the best room in the house, and according to Mark, large, furnished, and ready. Jews fasted before the Passover meal, so it is a better appreciate the food. One person was the head of the company, and clearly at the Last Supper, it was Jesus. Originally, the Passover meal was supposed to be eaten in-house, while standing, as a reminder that the original Passover was done hastily in anticipation of leaving Egypt. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. That's Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Later, this tradition was modified and the meal was taken reclining, symbolizing that the people of Israel were no longer slaves, as at original meal, but were now free. Jesus and the twelve reclined on low couches at the table, which would have been U-shaped. Basically, every painting of the Last Supper is historically incorrect, for the men would not have been seated in chairs around a rectangular table. Okay, folks, we're going to... Uh, end here and uh, we'll we'll pick this up on Friday the reading of my of the covenant and this is guidepost note the words of Jesus in 30 days by J. Stephen Lang Heavenly Father we just give thanks and praise for this day and we just ask and pray Heavenly Father that you just continue to be with each and every one of us Lord Bless the ears that have heard this and those that know you just enrich their hearts and let them seek a closer relationship with you. And for those that do not know you, Lord, I just pray that little seeds will be planted and they'll want to know more. I just give you all the praise and thanks in your Son Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for this medium that I come to. I thank you for the opportunity to share your words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the meantime, have a safe uh, evening, and uh, we will begin again with my blood of the covenant on Friday. Be blessed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.